the illusion of certainty is just that. It's just an illusion. Nothing is guaranteed. This business could disappear at any moment. My family could disappear. The people I love could go away. So I was had this idea of I've been playing conservative to hold on and create an artificial sense of certainty. That's not real. So I was like, okay, first, let me come to terms with the fact that there is no certainty in the future. And what am I doing playing conservatively, first of all? Like, what am I trying to achieve? Do I want to just be the guy that played it safe? No way. That's not my nature. My nature is go big, push to the edge, learn something about yourself. Number two, I kind of realized if the whole world goes to zero, we're going to go bankrupt anyway. I might as well not optimize for failure. I should optimize for maybe the world turns and private jets become a big thing. If I'm right on that, we go big. It didn't feel risky. It felt like I don't have a choice. When I play out every scenario, the only option that makes sense is to try to grow right now. Thanks for joining here on Bucket List Careers. I'm Krista Laurie, and that little bit of no fear motivation you just heard was from pilot and CEO of Ventura Air Services, Nick Tarasio, my guest today. I interviewed him once before on the show I hosted called Money in Main Street a few years back. His story has only gotten better. Flying jets and running a private aviation company on Long Island in New York clearly fits the bill for a cool gig. But of course, we share more than a resume on this show. Nick's bucket list career journey wasn't totally linear, and he didn't always want to take over the family business his mom and dad founded more than 60 years ago. He resisted the corporate culture associated with it at first. He's a multiple instrument musician and songwriter who has released three albums, actually. So the realization that his creativity could be cultivated in private aviation was not immediate. But Nick is sure his pivots have landed him right where he should be. Ventura's business declined at the start of the pandemic, but turned around rapidly, booking three times the flights in June and July of 2020, compared to the same period last year. He embraces a pilot mindset as a methodology for management and for life. He's had YouTube shows interviewing other CEOs while up in the air while he's flying. Super cool. He's a frequently booked leadership speaker and the way he navigated his company in a very challenging time for the airline industry is nothing short of inspiring. Lots of takeaways in this one for you. Let's listen in. Nick, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me on Bucket List Careers. Absolutely. Very happy to be here. So it's good to see you again. You and I have done this before. We did that interview at Ventura Air in 2017, we have figured out, in Farmingdale, New York at your headquarters. And can I just start by saying you look exactly the same? I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) How do you do that? How does that work when you're a CEO and you're a licensed jet pilot and all of that in a pandemic? You are not wearing any stress. You know, apparently I was going to say I must, uh, I must have an adverse effect to stress that just reverse ages me. <laughs> I do recall that day walking around with you and there were mechanics working on the small jets and we went in to one or two. We were on board getting some B-roll. You know, that's a, a TV news term for more video for the piece that we did. And you were telling me that not only running this small aviation company, but you were also doing a show up in the air where you were interviewing CEOs, swapping stories with them. So you obviously always had a thirst for knowledge, management styles. And when I launched this podcast, I thought of you and I thought people will be able to learn so much from your career journey. But let's go back to 07 when you became CEO, a little different than the landscape now. (laughs) You've been riding waves in the industry throughout, but this has been a tidal wave since COVID-19. So let's just start there. 
You know, I actually really like that you brought up 07 and COVID because it's the complete opposite approach that I had to leadership and the circumstances I found myself in. So where COVID, I felt super prepared and intentional. 07 was getting shot out of a cannon for me and just being reactive to everything around me. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, literally those are the two bookmarks of my career, I believe. Wow, that's really interesting. I haven't thought much about 07. So let me, yeah, I'll, I'll give a little frame on that. And it's valid to say that I never saw myself as a CEO. I never saw myself as a business guy. I never thought I'd wear a collared shirt. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be a rock and roller dude in a band and be like this creative, free expression kind of guy. I was good at math and science and I could fly airplanes well. And I grew up in the family business, but that was not the identity I had was never like, I'm going to be a guy in a suit sitting around a table talking about like financial information. That was never my thing. And it is a family business. So you always knew in the back of your mind, you had that option, but what about it didn't appeal to you at first? I think again, I I was always kind of this like emotional free expression kind of person as a kid. I really liked writing songs and like singing emotional stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was this idea of like, wait, I gotta, I gotta go sit in a context where I can't be myself and I have to wear an outfit that doesn't really even feel comfortable. Hmm. You know, again, I grew up around mechanics as a kid at six years old, I was fixing airplanes. Talk about people that don't care about trying to put their best appearance on. They're like, I wear dirty clothes. My hands are getting dirty. We're doing important work, but it was, it was really raw and it was like really authentic connection and shifting to, you know, when people say like, Oh, you got to go play the politics game if you want to go into business leadership. And I'm like, Oh, that's not me. That was never me. So in 2007, the funny thing was I was with my mother at an event at, I think it was Beth Page Golf Course. And it was this thing called the CEO Trust. And my mom and I got invited. We were being wallflowers because we were both feeling a little awkward. And this guy comes over and says, hey, there's this, this event in the city that we'd like you to come to. Oh, that's what it was. It was for the CEO Trust in the city. And he said, you know, I'd like you guys to come. And we said, yeah, we'll go. And he's like, well, who's the CEO? And my mom and I look at each other and she points at me and goes, he's the CEO. I wasn't anything. I was just a manager. And it was more that she was like, I don't want to go to these things. And I was like, I don't want to go to them either. This is really awkward. I have to pretend to be a certain way. But from that moment, I was like, what does the CEO even do? And I started looking it up, but I had no idea what that meant. And I kind of rejected the concept. It took me years to understand what that was. So you obviously had trained to be a pilot. Was that sort of the beginning? Was that a pivotal moment for you? In many ways, I would say, I be, so I flew by myself on my 16th birthday for the first time, hmm. which was crazy. But it, it's ultimately in 2007, when that happened, I kind of went to like, how did I learn to do anything hard before? And the hardest thing I ever did was flew an airplane. So I was like, oh, this is, there were two things that worked really well, which is one, like read a lot, read the books, study it, go practice. And the second thing was like, put yourself in a community of people that can teach you through osmosis. So I was around mechanics and pilots and I learned so much just hearing them talk about all their crazy stuff. Yeah. So shortly after 2007, when that moment happened, I joined any entrepreneur group I could find hmm. to be like, how do you maniacs do this stuff? <laughs> it's like a different breed that you didn't feel you connected with at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really a case of like, I'd say for seven years, I was struggling with imposter syndrome hmm. in a major way where I'm like, you know, I'm just a musician sitting in this room and everyone else is like, <laughs> I run a business for 20 years and I studied, I have my MBA. And I just always felt like I didn't belong in the room. And that was, that was a really hard journey. That was a really, really hard journey for me. So you did transition to running the company. You have siblings. Let's talk about how that went down. I know you had talked about having a business coach to help with that. Did you feel that that was an indispensable tool? Was that time frame challenging? How did it all go down? So layers and layers of that happened. First, I would say the biggest thing for me was the principle of, you know, do you ask for permission or beg for forgiveness? 
my whole method was I saw my parents were working really hard. They were working seven days a week. They were stressed out. I saw what they liked to do and what they didn't like to do. So I would just start doing things that they didn't want to do. Such as what? Management meetings. Like I was like, we're going to sit and we're going to talk about the business. And my parents are like, why? I just, I'm working. I don't have time to talk about it. I'm busy doing it. <laughs> so at some point I would just start to run these meetings. And at first, I don't think they were like, you know, I understand that they were output focused as a mom and pop at the time. It's like, we want to see output. We don't want to just talk about output. Right. So I just started doing that kind of stuff. And I started hiring different resources and outside consultants and they were like, hey, I don't even want to be in these meetings. So I said, great, you guys are off the executive team. And they're like, awesome. We have no <laughs> desire to be in this room. So it was a relief for them. It was, yeah. It was really like, I think by very nature of who they are, one of the first books I was told to read was The E-Myth. Okay. And it's The Entrepreneurial Myth. Have you heard of this book before? I have not. It's the whole premise that just because you're good at a skill doesn't mean you should go into the business of doing that thing. If you're a good baker... You should probably go work for a company that does baking. You don't necessarily want to start a bakery because now you're in the business of business. You're not in the business of baking. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that idea was my parents didn't want to run a company. They wanted to fix and fly airplanes. They wanted to work with customers. And when you're the CEO of a company, you don't really get to interact in that way anymore. You're so busy dealing with the team. And if you watched my day, you'd be like, I don't know what you do for a living. You clearly run a business, but I have no idea what you do because you're not around airplanes. You're not flying them anymore. You're not fixing them. And I think it was that process that was the big wake-up call. I was like, I'm just going to take this stuff off their plate because I'm a nerd. I'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> seriously, I was like this like nerdy kid that was super awkward. And I'm like, I'll just read how to do it. You can't be that nerdy if you were a musician. That means you're a rock star at heart. <laughs> well, I think I tried to dress like one. But in reality, when people would talk to me, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you're a nerd. <laughs> you're a huge nerd. <laughs> Well, obviously, things are working for you at the moment. Ventura Air is doing really well. You took some risks in a very uncertain time. You decided to invest in growth in 2020. I think you bought about five new jets. Is that correct? Yeah, we doubled our fleet in Q4. That is somewhat surprising. And I know I've, I've read that you have operated conservatively for most of your development as CEO, and that's not a conservative move. So what changed in you? I've been asked about this a lot because there was this pivot moment from COVID. So two things, I had a philosophical shift and then I also had like an optimal game theory shift. So number one was COVID was something that most of us have never seen before, right? On any level, business, global, personally, no one's ever seen anything like that. So when it happened, I think what really hit me was the illusion of certainty is just that. It's just an illusion. Nothing is guaranteed. This business could disappear at any moment. My family could disappear. The people I love could go away. Friends are gone. Like you just never know, right? So I was had this idea of I've been playing conservative to hold on and create an artificial sense of certainty. Mm -hmm. That's not real. So I was like, okay, first let me come to terms with the fact that there is no certainty in the future. And what am I doing playing conservatively, first of all? Like what am I trying to achieve? Do I want to just be the guy that played it safe? No way. That's not my nature. My nature is go big, push to the edge, learn something about yourself. Everyone in the team grows. It's more about like the spiritual and psychological and mental and skill development of the people I work with as a team. It's like, hey, let's, let's all grow and be better people even if we blew the company up. Who cares? Like at the end of the day, start another company, do something else, whatever that might be. So part of me was like, there's an underlying philosophical shift of someday I'm going to die. And it may happen in 2020 with COVID at the time. You're like, I don't know, maybe I'm not going to make it through the year, whether the company goes away or I go away. I want to make it count. So that was number one. Number two, I kind of realized if the whole world goes to zero, we're going to go bankrupt anyway. So I might as well not optimize for failure. I should optimize for maybe the world turns and private jets become a big thing. I'd rather gamble on that outcome 
Because if I'm, if I'm right on that, we go big. If I'm only gambling for a mediocre scenario, we might go out of business anyway, so it didn't matter. It didn't feel risky. It felt like I don't have a choice. When I play out every scenario, the only option that makes sense is to try to grow right now. Well, that's clearly you refusing to let fear get in your way of growth. But you also told me you showed your team a more vulnerable side in the early stages of the pandemic. Do you feel that honestly helped the team? I mean, I have to believe so. I think that I've been in circumstances. I've been in airplanes when there's emergencies. And I think I've always felt safer having someone be authentic with me and say, I'm afraid, but I'm committed. Right. I'm afraid I'm not going to give up. And like, that's relatable. So I think it was really a call for me to say, who do people need right now? And what they needed was a real person at the helm who was going to address them as humans and as a human themselves. So I was like, I think it's time to drop that. Like, I can't be an emotional person. I need to be a leader robot and be like, yeah, I don't know what happens next, but I, I'm a hundred percent sure that I will not stop until the last cent. Did you boost communications during that time? Oh yeah. We started doing video. I wanted to do video because I wanted people to see my face. I thought that like, yeah, I could write a fancy thing and it'll sound like some speechwriter wrote it, but I actually wanted people to see my face and hear my voice and hear the commitment. And I mean, I, I can't help but get really passionate when I talk about it. I can tell. Yeah. It's like, I, there's no way I'm going to lay down and die under any circumstances. Even if everyone left, I'll do it myself. It doesn't matter. And I wanted people to know that the team is my family. They've stood by us in the good times. I'm going to stand by them in all the, you know, whatever tough times come next. Totally. I mean, these are the calls to leadership that come to us. And I think a lot of people miss that call. Well, you mentioned the way you are up in the plane guides your thinking, and you have this pilot mindset that you talk about that you apply to your management style. So let's talk about how that has served you grow the company, deal with the pandemic and all this uncertainty in the airline industry, and how it can be applied universally in business and in life. Yeah, so there's there's a lot there. I mean, the, the first thing I tell everyone is most people I talk to don't have a vision for where they're going. And that's okay? Are you going to say to me, that's okay? It's okay if that's the story you want to tell with your life. If like, I think that there are some people that, you know, you say, do you want me to surprise you or not? Do you like surprises? If you like surprises, don't have a vision. It's fine. You're going to have a very surprising life. You're <laughs> going to float right. from thing to thing. And, and again, that's a beautiful expression of life too. There are some people that just say, I enjoy everything anyway. And I like the uncertainty and I'm okay with wherever I end up, poor, rich, living in America, living somewhere else, go nuts. Don't do any planning. Just float with the wind. What a beautiful expression of life. I think for me, and especially when I have, you know, 55 people's livelihoods on the line, I don't think anyone wants me to do that. I think if I stood up and I mean, imagine you get on an airplane with me and I go, Hey, guess what? We're going, I have no idea where, <laughs> and I don't even know what time we're taking off. And I'm not sure what you need to pack. Cause I don't know if we're going to, that doesn't going. work. Yeah, you're like, no, this is, this is insane. So for me, I got really clear on the fact that I don't want to live a haphazard life. And there is a story I want to be a part of crafting. And so it was important for me to say, like, if you really want to have an intentional life, have a vision for where you want to go. And going somewhere is not necessarily a destination. It could be a way of being. So it's like my vision for my life is I'm a person that just lives with love, right? I love people in my life. I give a lot of care. Or no, I specifically want to move to Colorado, have a ski house that overlooks the mountain with a grand piano by a fireplace. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not super specific to my life or anything, but yeah, like, like those are the kind of things where I think it's just, do you want to have a physical expression of your life or do you want to have more of a conditional or a cultural expression of your life? And I think people should weigh in on what the vision is. Otherwise the biggest, the biggest fear I think anyone can have is taking their last breath and going, I regret it all. What a nightmare. And that's the top tenant of the pilot mindset. Are there a few more? Yeah. So like the high level is have your vision 
assess your equipment, right? So if I'm flying a jet, I could go certain speeds and certain altitudes. If I'm flying a small plane, it won't be able to do the same thing. So what am I capable of as a human? What are, what are my limitations, fears, restrictions? Be really honest with that because again, if you go take off in a small plane and try to fly it to 45,000 feet, you're gonna have a problem. So you know, do your pre-flights, make sure you're in the space you need to be. Then it's you know, craft your flight plan now that you know where you wanna go. And I think if you look at people's concept of success, they usually go like, oh, it's going to be this, uh, this linear line going in this direction. Pilots don't do that. They go, I got to go around weather and mountains and some other issues, and I need to stop here for fuel. And their path might be meandering. And in some ways, it might look like that. But that's really an honest path for success is what are the risks? How do I work my way around it? Then let me define what my critical instruments are. It might be cash. It might be quality of my relationships to my partner. It might be you know, how successful my children are, whatever that is, create your dashboard, which is the instruments right in front of me on the panel, and then just monitor them for small deviations and make tiny little corrections along the way. Instead of my world is on fire. I wish I was paying attention last year. So that's kind of the, the general sense that I've used. And I, I try to teach people on my team. You just feel in control of your life in the same way. I feel very in control of an airplane, no matter what happens. How would you speak to people that may be reevaluating their path forward? Right. So the bucket list careers concept is maybe you haven't identified your purpose and you're not where you want to be on your path. I don't know if it's from the pilot mindset that you just laid out, but you know, if you're trying to execute on removing obstacles, what do you give as a takeaway for that? So there's a lot there. In fact, when I've done, I've run some basically like clinics on this where I say, let's spend an hour and a half on the vision piece because of one, if you don't know where you want to go, let's not talk about anything else. Until you get clarity, what do you actually want? And it's so strange that we're so bad at asking for what we want. We just don't know. We've not really spent a lot of time in our life going, what I actually need and want right now is this. Because it's like, well, that's not what everyone else wants. So maybe I shouldn't want that. So the first thing I'd say is get really, really, really clear about what that is. Whatever you need to do, meditate, soul search, go to Bali. I don't know, whatever someone needs to do. Right. And then I think from there, it's like, okay, well, if fear is the reason why you're not moving in that direction, then really get clear. What is the actual fear? Mm-hmm. I'd be curious for you. Have you ever felt like you were restricted from creating the life you wanted? I mean, that oh, look at you turning it around on me. You have done interviews. Of course, of course. I mean, I think that part of the problem is you think about what you're capable of doing in the moment as opposed to what you really want to be doing in the moment because you are concerned that either it doesn't make sense, you know, within the constructs of your life or that it's not enough. Mm. I was actually pursuing a business. After I left TV news, I was pursuing a business because I thought it made sense. It was e-commerce relating to fashion for anchors, anchor women, right? And I thought, well, this makes sense because I you know, have this background. And I had a, a business model and I did some research. And truth be told, you know, I came to a point where I scrapped it because I'm not really a designer, right? But I was going after it because I thought it made sense based on my background. But that wasn't the right reason to go for it. And I'm, I'm glad that I pivoted towards this because this came a little closer to what I wanted to do, even though it's not TV, I'm realizing it's completely igniting my passion because I'm interacting, I'm interviewing people. You know, I circle back to more of my true self, my authentic self. So that's an example, I think, of just recognizing that you don't need to do something because it seems to make sense based on your previous experience. 
So you, you've like said so many great things that I, I would love to dive into. Number Did one. Did I? I know, right? We, we only have 25 minutes. I try to keep this on try. the tight side for podcasts. I, I know, totally like, respect the hour long podcasts, but I am a New Yorker and I feel like how many people have more than 25 minutes for me? I don't know. Nobody, yeah. nobody has more than 25 minutes anymore. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, I think what I heard in that, and again, it's, I, I, I won't turn it into a whole long life dialogue, which we could. Right. We could go in a lot of directions with it. You're right. Yeah. But it's like what I heard in there was also like some people, are like, is that even reasonable? And it's like, do you want to live a reasonable life or an extraordinary life? Like you have to make mm. a choice on what's that. So this, this guy, Jim Quick, who I thought he said this one really interesting thing. He said the, the distance between where you are and where you want to be is only this much. And what he meant was it's like the space between your temples. Right. Thank you for describing that in case people, you know, we're, we're speaking to listeners who can't see your fingers, but it's the space between your ears. Yes, exactly. And it's like, <laughs> so if it's just a matter of if I only know this much, but I need to know that much, then just learn that stuff. Like go find a way to learn that stuff or have someone coach you through it. And those are the kind of things that I really like to talk about with people is the day I landed my first prop plane to think that I'd ever fly a jet is crazy. You're like, how am I going to get there? It's so far to go. But I think you said something too, which was beautiful is sometimes you just need to get started even doing the wrong thing right? and you find your way to the right thing. And there is this concern that you know, like I told people about the business and then I didn't end up doing it. And I thought, well, that's embarrassing, but it's really part of the journey. It's a beautiful thing. Once you recognize that, you know, you're free. Absolutely. I say make as many mistakes as you possibly can and survive as many of them as possible too. And what a great way to live. Like people actually admire those who go for it and miss again and again and again. That perseverance is such an attractive quality in other people. It's such an inspirational quality. And I think also just being straight about it and being vulnerable and being okay with telling the story, I think it is attractive. And, you know, you doing that with your management team, that I think sets you apart as a leader. And just to give you a little little more credit, I feel I can't not touch upon what you're doing with the life-saving organ transplant services that you're providing. So talk a little bit about what you do. Is that something that you got involved with on your own? And how does it work? I don't know much about it. Sure. So we are equipped with a fleet of Learjets that are really the perfect airplanes to fly organs in literally in like igloo coolers from place to place for transplants. Or in many cases, the transplant doctors or surgeons want to go and fly their flight themselves, go pick up the part from somewhere else. They harvest the organ from a donor and then Mm -hmm. bring it back to their hospital, do the installation. We've been in that for 20 something years now doing that. And it's a really rewarding part of our business because we've literally saved, you know, through our efforts, probably thousands of lives at this point. And being nimble, like, you know, your size must be a key element of that being successful. It's in our DNA. So I say like we're, aviation is the Olympics of business. Organ transplant inside of aviation is the Olympics of the Olympics of business. It is the hardest stuff you can do. It is so much on the line constantly. And it's sometimes like a one or two hour response time. Yeah. Get a plane flying to go and move these people to keep, you know, to try to save someone's life. So we definitely choose hard. Sometimes I think we do it just because it is hard, but we are a company that is uniquely qualified and built in a way of being extremely responsive, super safe. We have to keep our planes constantly available to fly. So we can't deal with breakdowns all the time. We have to do a really good job on maintenance. And what we've realized over time is, Hey, we've basically built this incredible value proposition for our customers. Like if you think you know, if, if you're worried about breakdowns, don't worry. You're only flying to Florida. We're flying organs around and have to right. one hour response time. You're going to be fine. A little bit higher stakes there, just slightly. So where is Ventura Air headed? I mean, obviously, we don't know when the commercial airline industry is coming back for real. 
But give me your take on the next several years of the landscape of the entire industry and private aviation. Sure. So I would think that from the industry trends that we're seeing and the the, the news that's coming out, we're probably not going to see till 2024, 2025, the airlines coming back to where they were, if at all. I mean, we don't know if there will be some like emotional shift in the way people use airlines, even so much that the, what, the story I would tell is, imagine you're sitting on an airplane and the person next to you starts coughing. They have a coughing fit. Whether or not you've moved beyond that, even years from now, there's always going to be that little bit of like, what if this is the moment I catch COVID? Right. That just like gave me chills when you said coughing fit next to me on an airplane. Our mindsets have completely changed. Exactly. So I think that that's going to be pervasive in our psyche for a long time. And it's going to create a real different experience of comfort on airplanes. So what's happened now is that anybody that had the money, there are plenty of people that say, I can't justify, I can't justify flying private. That's an expensive way to go from here to there. Now they're going, I'm not buying luxury. I'm buying safety. What's safety worth? What's the rest of my life worth? What's the health of my family worth? What is the ability to go and see a second location right now and feel good about it? Like to go on a trip and be like, I feel good about life right now. Some people are going, I'm going to change what I spent. Like my spending patterns are going to shift. Yeah. So we've seen this incredible influx of people that have never flown private before coming to our industry. I don't think they're leaving. I don't think they're going to go back the other way just because the airlines open back up. Well, what percentage would you say are those clients versus, let's say, a few years ago? So here's an example. Business travel has dropped between 50 and 80% for charter, right? Like there are companies that own their own private jet that have just sat their jet because they're like, well, there's no business reason to travel anymore. And the industry, for the most part, is basically where it started now. So all of that space that was lost to business travel is picked up with personal travel. So we're talking about a significant influx. The example would be Teterboro, New Jersey is the busiest private jet airport in America. Okay. And it is down 50% because it's mostly people traveling to and from business meetings in New York. But you see places like Aspen, West Hampton, Palm Beach, Scottsdale. These airports are seeing record activity they've never seen before because that's where people are flying personally to their second homes to see their families and friends. So it's a real tidal shift in the industry. We look at it and go, one good gamble on our part, like a little bit of patting myself on the back. Yeah, as you should. Yeah. So like we, we looked at it and said, let's, let's go for the win here that I believe this idea that people want to stay in isolation is wrong. Humans want to travel. They want to move. They want to connect. It's such a core need of the human existence. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. So, so we're like, if people are going to need that, they're going to find a way to travel and they're going to want to use jets. They're not going to want to drive to Florida. They're not going to want to take an airline. They're not going to want to take a boat. So there's only one thing left to do that feels safe as a private jet. So we have basically sent growth plans or set growth plans that we're going to double again this year. If we continue to do what, what we're doing, we've seen a lot of people interested in buying planes. So we're helping people buy their first jet. And I remember you telling me it's actually not as expensive as one thinks if you buy a used jet. Correct. So we're helping people get into airplanes for between a 10% to 20% cost of what it would be to buy new. So someone says, hey, I want to go buy this jet, but I can never afford $13 million. And we're like, well, you could buy it for a million and a half. Does that work? And it's just as safe? Just as safe. Because that, I think that's the impression that you're not getting the same safety level. But we're flying on commercial planes that are not new. You've been on a 40-year-old Boeing one way or another, whether or not you know, you know it. And those planes have probably 15 times the amount of use as any private jet you'll ever be on, no matter how old or new. So we look at that and say, that's always been an illusion. It's the way new, new jet manufacturers sell planes is they go, old ones are unsafe. Not true. Mm-hmm. There's no correlation between that and safety. So we help people by saying we have a utility approach. You're not out to spend luxury right now. People in this world are smart. They're conservative. Even if they have money, they're going, I don't want to waste my money. So I think what's been really unique is that our value proposition of being a utility company saying, 
you want to move a certain amount of people at a certain speed to a certain place with a certain capability, a certain cost. Good. Well, we can do that better than anybody else. If you want new, fancy, glitzy rap video, like show off, there's plenty of other companies I could turn you towards. But when you're coming to me and saying, this has to be a prudent financial decision and it has to be safe. Great. That's who we are. Very interesting. So when's your podcast coming? Because I have a feeling that you should be hosting one. I know. I know. <laughs> I feel so called to it. I think it's going to happen. I'm, I'm planning to launch it in 2021. And specifically, my podcast is going to be on something I've found to be quite unique in the entrepreneur mind, which is a therapist I once worked with actually called it out. He said it's called counterphobia, that there are certain people that when they are afraid of something, instead of running away from it, they run at it. It's a way of asserting control over fear. I happen to be a major counterphobic. So I find that entrepreneurs, people have this misnomer of entrepreneurs are not afraid. And I go, that's BS. Entrepreneurs are terrified, but they do it anyway. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, you're living proof. I think there can be a lot for other people to gain in saying, don't let fear limit you in whatever extraordinary things you want to do with your life. Don't let the fear of failure, the fear of being too small, fear that you're not smart enough, whatever that is. Like, I, I just want to tell stories of helping people overcome that fear so they could live whatever extraordinary version of their life they want to live. Well, we're looking forward to that. I'll be a subscriber for sure. Thank you so much for being on Bucketless Careers. This was really a lot of fun and you gave us some great takeaways for our listeners. That's always good. And where should we follow you on social media? How do we get more updates on what you're up to? So one, we have a news feed on our website, VenturaJet.com. And then if you're interested in me personally, you could find me on Instagram or LinkedIn. LinkedIn is just uh, my name. Instagram is my name without a C in my first name because I was trying to be a funny guy and show that I have a music persona <laughs> and a professional persona, but now they're all merging. Remember to connect with me on social media to talk career evolutions, setting your career compass for the rest of 2021. This is your year. Bucketless Careers. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Feel free to reach out at Crystal Laurie on Twitter. We have so many more engaging guests in the lineup for you each Wednesday. Just a reminder, that's when new episodes go live. And if you found a particular episode spoke to you or you have thoughts on the overall series so far, let me know. Leave a review and rating for us. We appreciate that so much. Thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, click subscribe. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.